feel like I've done the same job. I mean, I have had 10 different jobs, at least in my 38 year career, and it's never felt exactly the same to me. So um, matching up what I'm very good at and then teaching me the competencies that I need to run different businesses, I think has been a match made in heaven. Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick, and I'm the Dean of the Pharma School here at Miami University. Today I'm joined by, hmm, I'm going to start, are you Francie? Yes. Okay, I'm going to start that over. Jay, starting again. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick, and I'm the Dean of the Pharma School of Business here at Miami University. Today I'm joined by Francie Henry, who graduated with a bachelor's degree in business administration in 1986. So welcome, Francie, to Beyond High Street. Thank you, Jenny. It's a pleasure to be here. I just remember I'm a prodigy when I graduated at 12 years old, if anyone's doing the math. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I, I try not to disclose my birth date. <laughs> that's right. Good. As, as our, that's right. As our listeners know, during this podcast, we weave through a range of topics so our listeners can learn more about you and your journey and your reflections along the way. So I have to start with what I think is the most important question of all. Why did you first choose the Pharma School of Business, Miami University? Uh, You know, I am the uh, child of uh, immigrant parents. And my parents came to the United States and met and married here. My father did not have a high school degree. My mother did have a high school degree, which she reminded him of all the time in jest. Uh, And you know, they really were unfamiliar with, um, you know, the collegiate experience because they just they just didn't know. So uh, we grew up in Mount Vernon, Ohio, Jenny, and one of our family friends, their son attended Miami. My father, we came to visit. And as my father got out of the car and saw the beautiful brick buildings, he looked around in awe and said, now this is college. And from that point forward, there just was not a choice in his mind or our minds where we would go and where we would attend. So I was fortunate enough that my brother, who was four years older than I, you know, he graduated in 1982. And then uh, I had a marvelous experience at Little Sibs weekends every every year. And uh, there, you know, for me, there just wasn't another choice. So, you know, we were lucky in the fact that, you know, we did not open up the envelope and, you know, start filing through schools. But my brother had a great experience. And I, I just felt connected from the minute I stepped on campus. So, uh, we, and I, we, I look back fondly. We, we know that if we can get a prospective student on campus, they, they've, they're sold. It's such a beautiful campus. And to your point, a great experience too. So I noticed in your background, pretty much when you graduated, you went straight to Fifth Third Bank and you went into a management training program. And now you've moved up and, and you've got an incredible um, track record behind you, a great trajectory, where you're now regional president at the bank. So talk to me about the journey that you've been on and also the value in staying in one organization for one's career. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. As you stop and reflect, I get that question a lot. So I I think it is a little bit of an anomaly, right, that I've I've been at the same place 38 years. Uh, And frankly, you know what it's like. You blink or you wake up. And, and here we are. Um, but I'll, I'll say a couple of things. When I joined the organization, we were $3 billion. We are the 12th largest bank and $210 billion today. So if you think about that, people ask me, well, what's, the, what's the best thing you've done? What's the most interesting thing you've done? What are you most proud of in my career? And I run all lines of business. But I would say that I think my ability to move 
um, to grow with the organization and the organization to allow me to be the best possible version of myself that I could possibly be has created this magnificent union. Um, our CEO, Tim, speaks um, fondly about the fact that we think banking is a noble profession, right? Doctors and teachers and administrators like you and bankers. I mean, we, we're servant leaders and we serve a purpose. And I have found it um, incredibly rewarding in so many ways. But I've also, I would also tell you, I don't feel like I've done the same job. I mean, I have had 10 different jobs, at least in my 38-year career, and it's never felt exactly the same to me. So um, matching up what I'm very good at and then teaching me the competencies that I need to run different businesses, I think, has been a match made in heaven. So, so for the benefit of our listeners, just give a, sh- a short version of the 10 different careers you've had within the bank. Yeah, so I started on uh, in the management training program and then really embarked upon the consumer business. So the retail business for me was about 16 years of that career. I started our grocery store banking system. So when we were just embarking upon the, the partnership with Kroger, which was really a lot of fun. And then I ran um, two other regions in Cincinnati. Uh, when I was uh, about, again, 16 years into the career, I was afforded the opportunity to come back to Columbus. So I started at the headquarters. I started in Cincinnati. And for me, the opportunity to come home. And I would say that's probably when the career turned a little more personal. Um, you know, when you are afforded the opportunity to come back where you grew up to make a difference in your community, uh, it, it was it was a little uh, change, life-altering and changing for me and very, very personal. Uh, I then I ran the consumer side of the business here. Then I moved on to run um, the private bank for a number of years. I then ran commercial for a while and then was afforded the opportunity to move into the regional president role here. So that's kind of in a snapshot. And a lot of people think that that, that journey, you know, is it congruent? But what I would tell you is that I say to people all the time, it doesn't matter how many zeros might be at the end of someone's net worth or in their bank account a $10 account, a $100 account, a $10,000 account. People are people with the same goals and aspirations, you know, take care of the people, places and things that they most care for. And that's our job to provide them that p- pathway to ensure that they can do the things that they need to do. I love that. And for the benefit of our listeners, just to be reminded by the comment that, you know, we're all people with who are trying to find purpose and meaning. And to your point, there may be differences, however defined, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we, we are still people trying to, to live a good life. And I think that's a really good message. So talk to me a little bit. How, talk to me about the scale and scope of your current role. Like how many people do you have in your purview and what assets under management do you currently, um, are you currently responsible for? Yeah, we have around 600 people here. We call it the Central Ohio region. It's a little deceiving in that it's, it's 10,000 square miles. So we go from the north end of Marion, Ohio, and we, uh, we actually are responsible for our market in West Virginia, Charleston, into Charleston, West Virginia, and Huntington, West Virginia. Uh, and, and there's a reason behind that. But we believe in a, a model at the organization whereby the corporation runs a strategy. But, you know, we operate very much like a small community bank with 14 of my peers that do the same thing that I do within various regions and all the states that we operate in. And it, I, I think what it does is, again, gives us that, you know, the, the, the power and the depth of the products, the innovation, but it really is delivered at a local level. And, you know, we have the ability to understand what's most important to our market and the clients of our market. And we can tackle the things from a community standpoint 
um, you know, very directly in that regard. So um, it's it's one bank, but it's it's separated by, you know, a very community-like feel. And that was, you're feeding into a question as you talked about, you joined a bank at 3 billion assets under management, now it's to 10 billion, 12th largest. And I was going to ask the question about how you you talked about having grown as the bank grew, but oftentimes when organisations grow, holding on to the the smallness, because 3 billion by US standards is is a relatively small bank, (laughs) although there's inflation thrown in there too. But how how has Fifth Third Bank um, retained that that feeling um, of, of, of culture that you had when you joined the bank and maybe by treating each each region's community banks might be the answer but I'm interested in, in if you can elaborate on that yeah I think that's a really great question I I really have felt um, you know we're here to serve and we're here to serve our clients uh, and and for the most part those clients you know some of the sophistication has grown I I think back even 30 years ago Jenny people kept saying it's going to be a cashless society and we won't have any branches and you know people are going to vanish and you know, and I would tell you that that this has changed. You know, from an operating standpoint, uh, we've become more sophisticated. You know, we have to have more of a digital technology. We have to, have, you know, we have to offer. We have to meet clients where they are. But clients are, you know, at all levels of that spectrum. And you know, there's nothing more valuable than relationships, and that's what we build. I was talking to a, a group of our colleagues yesterday, and we talked about relationship building. I think the most important thing we can do is, you know, kind of understand who our clients are, where they are in that journey and how we best meet them where they are. And the beauty of having the depth of being a large organization is that you can make the investments into technology and into the areas that you need to ensure that you're staying kind of one step ahead. And it's certainly been a challenge for smaller banks is to keep up with the technology and, and, and it's changing so quickly. Now, for the benefit of the listeners, we're recording this interview on March 29th, 2023. Yeah. And there has been a little bit of chaos in the financial services really? sector. Yes. <laughs> if I've got the date right, I think it was March the 8th that Silicon Valley Bank, I think that was the line in the sand. But talk to me about how Fifth Third has responded, what were you, you as a bank and how you're different to Silicon Valley Bank. And then also you know, what, what you're observing right now in the financial sector. Yeah, I think, I think a couple of things. Let me just be clear. We, you know, the, 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 the domestic banking network here specifically for their bank we're strong we're resilient and we're positioned to serve the two bank failures that occurred you know were operating models very unique you know to venture startup technology and you know those two organizations do not cover any by any way shape or form what the majority of the regional banks are we have a strong liquidity position a very strong capital position you know, and a balance sheet that, you know, frankly, is positioned very, very well. The other thing that was just very interesting in that regard, and I think what we've all discovered is um, the interconnectivity of the venture group and, and those organizations. Um, I, I would tell you that it was the, the first in, in modern day area that we've seen a bank run on deposits that occurred because of all the technology that was out there. So Silicon Valley, Jenny, billion ran out in two days, 42 billion. The other thing I think that, you know, they were not a diversified organization. So when you're a financial advisor, (laughs) you know, when you're, when people say you need diversification, 
you know, we operate four major lines of businesses. Uh, and that consumer business is very strong for us. You know, we have 60% of our deposits that are insured. So again, um, the mismanagement, one might say, led to some of this, but there were a lot of things that almost the perfect storm that unfortunately created what what began to concern many, many people, rightfully so, but I think their concerns are not as valid uh, and they should be comforted in the fact that, you know, most organizations are not in that particular position. And, and a follow-up question to that, $42 billion was withdrawn and it's a ton of money. But uh, what I've heard is that there was a lot of, there's a lot of money being withdrawn out of smaller banks who may not have been distressed leading up to this point and moving into large banks, perhaps like Fifth Third. What do you see the future of banking? Do you see it as being, a, a, you know, that there could be more smaller bank, banks acquired by larger? Like what, where, how do you think it'll shake out? You know, I think interestingly enough, and I don't think that, you know, our um, our government, our regulators, you know, get the credit that they deserve. And I, I was I was um, very glad to hear many of them say it's important to have diversification of the banking network. So the super regionals got a lot of press, you know, a lot of deposits flowing their way. We got kind of lumped into the regional banking system because that's where the, the two that got hit were regional banks and the importance of maintaining the regional banking system and the community banking system. We need capacity in the system from a financial uh, organization standpoint. And that capacity means that the larger banks can't fulfill all the needs of our communities. The regional banks can't, the community can't, banks can't. And I think there's a recognition that the diversification needs to stay. Therefore, you saw very quick action around the ensuring of those deposits, those organizations. You know, I won't comment about, you know, without a current everyone, should it, wouldn't it, could it, and that's not fair. But the fact of the matter is that stopped the panic. The second thing is that I think from the liquidity issue that you saw, and and look, I mean, nine Fed rate hikes uh, in a very short period of time created stress. Central banks are known for, if they're going to fix a problem, they're going to fix it until something breaks. Well, something broke. And again, I won't, you know, won't, won't make a comment whether should have or could have. But, you know, but when the FDIC stepped in immediately and put in the ability for banks to just at least get to par on their investment portfolios instead of you know, taking that loss or hit in those portfolios, I think those two things right there speaks to, again, you know, government when it does work, organizations that you know, need a little bit of help, and the preservation of, of all those organizations that need to take place. Do I think it's over, Jenny? I'm sure... Uh, uh, we'll see more things occur. It seems like it's really kind of settled down and simmered down. I mean, net net, we were a benefactor in terms of accounts being open, so we're we're happy about that. Deposits ebb and flow, you know. So we'll see. Uh, but I think most of our clients, we were on the offensive quickly to make sure that they understood what differentiated us from those other organizations. Sorry for the long-winded answer. No, it's I- a great answer. And I think for the listeners, especially our students, I mean, what an incredible moment in time. I know, they're, 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 you know it's just been an incredible moment in time to understand what happened to SVB and a few others like SVB, watch the way the FDIC and the Fed came in, and just look at, and, and as we say, we can't predict the future, and it's not completely over yet, but I think to your point, just to watch what's happened, how it's playing out, how different brands in the market have responded, some will strengthen, some may not. I think it's it, it's it's still not over, but I think it's just really interesting. And Jenny, I'm not a paid spokesperson for SBB as a 38-year Fifth Third Bank employee, 
But here's what I'll say, and I think interestingly enough for your students. So SVB was an organization that was around 40 years. I mean, they've, they've been around 40 years. And there was, you know, a, an issue in terms of liquidity, you know, that, that was very problematic for that organization. I think they took the steps that they needed or felt needed at the time and just had the inability to recapitalize and, you know, and then, you know, run on the deposits, et cetera, et cetera. But, but that's, 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 that's not a, you know, a fly by night organization. A lot of the venture firms, you know, I mean, SVP was their alternative, you know, in terms of a holistic banking network. A lot of those clients we have opened up accounts for, but from a financing standpoint, you know, we're just not, we were not, we're not as equipped and neither are others to handle some of the needs of the, of those venture capital technology companies and firms. So that's, that's going to be a stress on the entire system. Uh, and it's unfortunate that it's occurred. Oh, they're fair points. Switching gears. <laughs> so, yeah. so no, really Ooh. interesting. Yeah, so uh, that. <laughs> that's right. Oh, we could probably have spent a whole podcast talking about the financial service sector. I think there's so much to 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 talk about. But let's switch gears and go for a trip down memory lane. So thinking back to 1986 when you, you know, and the few years before it. So as our listeners know, I go through a rapid fire of questions and um to you know, get your reflections, your memories about what your time here at Miami was like. So when you look back at your time at Miami, who was your favorite professor? Do you remember? Yeah, Jack Lesser. Jack Lesser was uh, in the marketing department and uh, he was a quirky guy. So, you know, when people think of a professor, uh, he talked really fast and sometimes he spit when he talked and, he, you know, he was he was always, a, he had, always had an, a lovely suit on, but sometimes his tie was a little crooked. But he did work for uh, a lot of the major companies, and he also allowed us uh, the opportunity to work with different organizations. And he took a personal interest in me and all of his students. So not not just his knowledge, his passion, his ability to make you really think. And um, you know, he was really uh, instrumental in getting me in front of a lot of different companies and to do marketing projects for us. So Jack Lester was one of my favorite professors so- of all time. Do you remember the, the your favorite projects that you did with Jay? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, we we were asked by Skyline Chili to talk about if they were going to franchise outside of Cincinnati, what would that look like for them? And that and that was a ball. Uh, I'd also say that it came full circle. So then you know, Jack asked me when I ran the our fifth third branches in Butler County, could I be a client of his students? And we did that for a number of years as well. And it was as hard to be a client as it was a student for Jax. I mean, he, he pushed all of us. I'm glad that you recognized that because when experiential learning, when client projects are done well, that they, they do require a ton of work. And oh. so, so I'm glad that you see that too. Um, what subject did you least enjoy? Boy, you know, I think uh, I was a, a business major and um I was scared to death of calculus. Oh, I thought you were going to say calculus. <laughs> I would have put money on that. <laughs> Would you put money on it? So well, it's still, it still haunts everybody, I just like to point out. <laughs> so, yeah. I had, I, so we're going back to the 80s now. So all the students would be like, what do you mean you didn't take calculus in high school? Well, we, my school didn't really have, didn't yeah. offer calculus at the time. My brother gave me the best advice. You know, I don't give him enough credit sometimes that I was coming into my freshman year. Calculus was a five-hour class, right? So it was a, a pretty hefty weight on the GPA. So his his advice to me was take 14 hours that semester and, and five of which are, is one class, right? 
he said, don't load up, you know, take fewer hours. And I would tell you that I had a wonderful teachers, a TA who, and I can't remember his name. I apologize. I think I, you know, spent more time in the TA's office and uh, knowing heads up, this is going to be hard for me. Uh, you know, he calmed me down and spent an inordinate amount of time. And I actually got an A in calculus. You, you might want to check my transcripts, Jenny, but I'm pretty sure I I'll did pretty well. With so to the students, listen, you've got to put the time in. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and ask for the help. I mean, you know, look, I wasn't that's afraid right. to ask for help. I think a lot of people are. I was not. And, and, and calculus is such an important course. But as, the reason I laughed is that when I talked to our alum, most of them will say calculus. <laughs> <laughs> what, what co-curricular activities were you involved in? Uh, I uh, am a proud member of the Alpha Omicron Pi sorority. And uh, this past Friday, a few of my sisters joined me for dinner, for drinks. Uh, we've, you know, kind of re-engaged now that many of us are, you know, past the childbearing and rearing and, you know, all the things that take place when you're raising a family. And uh, I spent a lot of time with the sorority. Uh, I also, um, you know, I love to work out in sports and did, you know, a lot of sporting events as well. But the sorority took a lot of my time because it was really kind of my people. Uh, it, it was a little intimidating leaving a, a very small town. Uh, and, and, you know, again, first generation didn't quite know. And I think the sorority really helped me find my people and my tribe. And then, you know, in return, I, you know, leadership within that organization just seemed to fit. I, I would tell you, Jenny, I, I had to study, you know, so it's probably the unpopular thing to say, you know, you're sitting here and you're at, at this point in your career, but I spent a lot of time in King Library on the third floor. So I knew that of myself. So I, I just didn't, I, I didn't, and, and, and then we just didn't overschedule, you know, any of us. So I, I took care of my health in terms of working out a little bit. I, you know, I love my sorority and I, you know, I stayed committed uh, there. But I spent a lot of time studying and I, I just I knew that my parents, you know, didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, that money that they had given and spent from my education was very, very important. I didn't want to disappoint them. I certainly didn't want to disappoint myself. Um, and I, I, I didn't do a whole heck of a lot except third floor and a little fun with the with the girls and the right. parties. And, every and it's so good that you said that, too, because that's why you're here. I mean, you're here to get an education, to learn. And, and good, thank you. What was your favorite time of the day for class? Were you a morning person or not so much? I was a morning person. Mm. I still am today. I'm just more fresh in the morning. So I was okay with eight o'clock classes. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, my, my children, my son attended Miami as well, proud graduate from the farm school. Um, and, and I just didn't care for the Tuesday, Thursday load up classes, the hour and a half, the longer classes. So I spread it out. I, I went to, I had classes five days a week and I preferred the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, where they were about an hour so I could run through them. And then Tuesday, Thursday lighter. Mm -hmm. Others don't. I mean, others prefer to load up on that Tuesday, Thursday. I, I just, my, my, uh, I guess my attention span, you know, wouldn't allow me so to I'm, do so, that. I'm so glad you mentioned you took classes on Friday because some of our students don't, don't. <laughs> Nobody does. I mean, <laughs> that would have been a little bit of a recipe for disaster for me anyway. So, yeah, I maybe we're not the cool people, Jenny. Well, obviously, that's the case. But yeah. I, I had five days worth on Monday, Wednesday, yeah, Friday good. loaded up. Did boy. you have a favorite night of the week? I don't know why Thursdays were really um, 
you know, exciting for me. But Thursdays, because if you got done quick enough, you could run uptown, you know, have a bagel or, you know, have a pop somewhere, and, you know, hang out. And you knew you only had one more day to, uh, to suffer through. And, and my worst days were Sundays uh, because, you know, growing up with uh, just my brother and I and a Greek family, that was our family day. So we would get up in the morning, we'd go to church together, you know, we'd, we'd eat lunch somewhere out. Um, and I, I, I missed my family yeah. more on a Sunday than any other day. And, and I don't know if you care about this, but February for me always felt like a really difficult month, you know, cause he, it's, it's cold. Yeah. There's not a lot to look forward to February. Like there's nothing, you know, gray to do and, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. gray and mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So I, yeah. I try to tell my kids, Hey, February is coming. You know, Just don't worry. Easy. Don't be hard on yourself. That's right. And we had a cold February, if I remember correctly. I can't remember, but I think it was quite cold. Did you intern while you were at Miami? Uh, I was a teller all four years at First Federal Savings Alone. And so my internship was with the bank and really aligned uh, perfectly with where I ended up. And, uh, you know, in, in the 80s, a lot of banks were hiring. And when someone saw that I was a teller for five years, I mean, you know, that they were like interviewers. You know, the only downside is they all wanted me to start in the retail program, which was fine by me. I didn't care. I didn't care at all. I, and I think, unfortunately, today, a lot of students, and I think it's fine, you know, they all, they all want investment banking or commercial banking. And, and I think I have learned more from my time in the consumer side of the business because we sell everything that we talk about. All products and services go through the retail side and, you know, all customers need different things. And I, I think I learned how to listen better, how to communicate better, how to be a team player. And as I grew in my leadership roles, I needed those things more than I did need some kind of competency or technical skill. I'm so glad you mentioned that because investment banking is not for everybody, but banking itself as a sector is a really exciting sector to work in with a lot of opportunities as you've you've shown. So where did you live in your freshman year? Do you remember the dorm? Yeah, Reed. Uh, Excuse me, Sims. I apologize. Do you remember the room? Mm-hmm. And I was 3C, so I was in 3 Central, Sims Hall. And and interestingly enough, I just talked to somebody the other day who said, I graduated from Miami in 1986. I said, oh, you're kidding. Where, where were you? She said, I was in Sims Hall. I said, what area? And she knew exactly where she was. My counterpart at Huntington Bank is also was also same year graduated she was in sims hall with me as well i did not did not recall that it's so funny did do, do, do you remember where you lived off campus i lived um yeah doggone it francie i uh now you really got me thinking and i should know this off the top and i've driven by i can see the apartment i apologize does it have a name yeah Oh, we'll come no. back to that. If you remember, we'll come back come to back. that. So what was your favorite building on campus? Not uptown, but on campus. You know, I, there's something about Upham Hall that just felt so traditional. I didn't have a lot of classes there. But didn't you feel like when you crossed and you went into the Upham Arches, you could feel the history and the weight of the organization a little mm-hmm. bit? So I always loved it when I was in Upham Hall. Nice, I, like I, I just appreciated it. What was your favorite spot uptown? Um, attractions was uh, a particular watering hole and food uh, restaurant that I think a lot of us enjoyed uh, visiting. 
but frankly, I'd also say the bagel and deli is a, a close second to me, and then Mac and Joe's. I mean, I like everything about them. Exactly. You know, so, you may, so you've probably been back a few times, especially when you said your son had been here too. So do, where, when, where would you go back to eat when you came back to town? Mac and Joe's? Skippers. Skippers. <laughs> Yeah, good, and good. strippers were Greek guys and are Greek guys. So when yeah. they opened up the restaurant, uh, I went true. running in to introduce myself. And then when I went back with my son, a couple of generations later were, was there. And I reminded him that we met, you know, years ago. They're from yeah. Chicago, I believe. And uh, introduced my son. And Love that. Uh, it, anyway, it was wonderful. Good. So if you look back on any part of your time at Miami, what, if anything, would you have done differently? Probably would have relaxed a little bit more. Yeah. I would have breathed a little bit more. Mm. You know, I just had more faith that things were going to turn out uh, well. And I, I mean, look, I enjoyed myself immensely there. And I really felt connected to the university. Um, and I felt like people were always looking out for me there as well. Mm. But, you know, probably just breathing a little easier. I guess that's my advice in life in general. Yeah. You know, I think we're so hard on ourselves. Mm. We're so type A sometimes. We always... We're so worried about the future that we don't always enjoy the present and just and, and it kind of works out, out, doesn't it? It does work out okay, it does. doesn't it? <laughs> Great. It does. Well it does. Is there a class you wish you'd taken that you didn't take? Yeah, you know, wine tasting. <laughs> I, <don't laughs> I, I never took a wine tasting class. I mean, that was just stupid. It's such a, really it's so popular. <laughs> what about I, I, know. I couldn't get in. So I was I too busy in the library. What I should have gone to the wine tasting class. So I want to move on to the next part of our, our podcast where you give advice, but I want to start off, you, you mentioned that you've got a son, you've got children, and you've worked and had an incredible career. So what advice can you give listeners, especially younger female listeners too, about how to manage your work-life balance and, and, and how have you done it? How have you got through and had the career you've had and still been a great mother? You're so kind. I hope that they would say the same, and I think so. I'm very proud of them. I think the first thing to say, Jenny, is you have to be kind and graceful to yourself. So the first thing is, you know, we talked about this, just breathe and you know, things are going to be fine. Um, don't judge how you want to live your life by how others have lived theirs. And I call them filters, right? So I think everyone has their own filters for which they make their decisions. And, and your filter, the first, you know, little ball that comes in, Maybe it just stops because in your particular area in life right now, you just can't do those things. So be kind to yourself, be graceful to yourself and stop the comparisons. It's just not helpful. And it doesn't mean that if you have to at some point, you know, take a little sideways view or stop or re-engage because, you know, as women, our checkerboard will be full of things that we're responsible for. And that's not a burden. That's what makes our life so full and so enriched. I've been incredibly fortunate to be able um, to have the right help, the right support, and, and, you know, and been in the right situations where I could work. But there were often times where I had said to myself, if, if just one little thing would have gone uh, a different way, I am done. You know, the, the, the children were number one, you know, the, my personal well-being, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I... I also say that if they can, um, if they're able and they can find help, then, you know, help makes a big difference as well. But it's, it's, sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I think it's such important advice to the listeners, just not to, not to judge others, 
not to feel judged because there's so many different ways to live a life. And to your point, you know, we have different jobs, we have different support structures, our children are different, some need different care at different times, different types of care. And I know one female friend of mine, I need to, I've got two children and, and she had five. I couldn't believe she could have had a career with five. But anyway, long story. But she, her, her advice she gave me when I started you know, working with a, a baby, she said, and never feel guilty. Never feel guilty about the choices you make. No, I, and I, you know, from time to time, I've had a lot of women who've come in and said, you know, I, I, I need to stop. I need to change it. I, I wish I could be like you. And it's just like nails on the chalkboard. It's like, oh, no, you be you exactly. because you are yeah. marvelous. Mm. And and I hope I can encourage people not to feel like they're the victim or. Mm, not to that's right. Or you're failed, failed. Or, yeah, that's you're right. in control. Mm. It's wonderful. Mm. And, that, you know, again, your journey is yours. Enjoy the moment as we just talked about, because the good or the most difficult don't last. Exactly. And I think in knowing when you're lucky and when you can enjoy versus getting dejected and staying in the, you know, the battle change, thank God, and the good won't always be the good. But it's it's kind of those days that are more benign when you drive home and everything went OK that day that you should be really enjoying and celebrating. <laughs> and give gratitude for it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So uh, what advice would you give students, other, you know, other pieces of advice? So I'd like to give advice in two buckets. Part one, to incoming first-year students, what advice would you give them as they're coming into the pharma school? And then bucket two, group two, would be early career professionals. Students who've been out for one or two years, what advice would you give them? I think, you know, as you're embarking upon it, the beauty about, you know, leaving all those people who knew you or thought about you in a certain way. Like I have a group of high school friends. We run around together too. I have my sorority sisters. I have my high school friends. But, and no one knows you more than your high school friends. Now, the beauty about leaving all that and embarking upon, you know, something different like your career at Miami is that maybe this is your time to discover something about yourself that you just never knew. So I would say get out of your comfort zone, take a class, join an organization, meet somebody that doesn't look like you. I mean, not just meet them, get to know them. It's such good and, advice. And, and celebrate and difference and, and, and understand celebrate. people. To your point, at the heart of all of this is humanity and just trying to understand different points of view, different ways of living. Good. Right. So as you're entering your career, I think you're going to begin by just kind of, you, you want to build your IQ. And I understand that. And I think that's very, very important. But I think as you evolve in your career and your leadership style, I think IQ tends to peak at a certain point and it's your EQ, it's your emotional intelligence, it's, it's how you interact and relate with others, it's your team building, it's your intuition, it's your reaction to things, it's your EQ that matters more, spend time building it and then as you embark upon your career further, I call it PQ, so Shirzad Shamin wrote a book on positive intelligence and it's really neuroscience by staying grounded and focused on what you are, what you like the most, what you're best at, appreciative inquiry is another way of saying it, you get better. But what do we want to do? We want to say, well, I'm really bad at this. I need to go improve upon this. Like at some point, if you get 50% better at something you're not good at, you're still going to stink because you're, you know, even 100% better at something you're bad at, still kind of bad, right? So either hire for it, acknowledge it, understand it, 
but but go deep in the things that you're very good at that bring out the sage in you that that create that you know you could see is I, I have a lot of passion around staying true to who you are but but get to know yourself man. it's such good advice because when we teach corporate strategy we say leverage leverage the organizational strengths right same principle right? leverage your own strengths i love it well look, how many meetings did you get asked to attend this week jenny because you did something really really well or the organization is very proud of something probably not many how many mm. meetings were we problem solving around right. and i i mean as a leader you got to think about that mm. It's such a good interview. So, so thank you so much. As I close, I want to thank you so much, Francie, for the gift of your time to allow me to record this podcast. One defining characteristic of the Pharma School of Business alumni is just how engaged they are, how willing our alumni are to continue to find ways to support the school, its students, our faculty, our staff, and other alumni. So thank you, Francie, and go well as you continue in your journey beyond High Street. Jenny, thank you, and thank you for your unbridled leadership you know pharma school of business we're lucky to have you and miami is always going to hold a special place in my heart thank you